Hey guys, Trace here, and welcome back to Seeker Plus. Today, we're going to rebroadcast episode 14, where we dive deep into your dreams. What is a dream? Where does it come from? Why do we have nightmares? And what's up with lucid dreaming? It's going to be good. So let's kick into it. What are dreams anyway? We know that when you're awake, your conscious brain is in control. It's almost like you have two brains because as you fall asleep, your processes, your conscious processes are handed off to your unconscious processes. And that's why you twitch as you're falling asleep because that's during the handoff. It's, it's kind of strange. And the sleeping brain is way more mysterious because we can't exactly ask it what's happening. We can't study it as easily as the conscious brain. The only way we can really experience people's dreams is through dream journals, which is when you wake up and write down your dream. Scientists don't even really know, I mean, why we sleep. Like, why? Or why we have rapid eye movement when we sleep. Or why we dream when we're asleep. It's really mysterious time of our lives, and it's weird because we do a lot of it, like a third of our life. But they do know that almost all dreams occur during REM sleep or rapid eye movement sleep. Sigmund Freud believed that dreaming was like a safety valve. It was a way for unconscious desires to kind of escape into our conscious mind. In 1953, researchers first described REM in sleeping infants. Although infants don't dream about themselves, they do have dreams. And then they began studying sleeping and dreaming. Most mammals and birds also show signs of REM sleep, and reptiles and other cold-blooded animals don't. So you've probably seen video of dogs dreaming. We don't know that they're dreaming, but we're pretty confident that they are. We can't be absolutely sure because you can't ask ask them, but it does seem like they are based on that. So what is REM sleep? That's If that's when we dream, what's going on there? REM sleep or rapid eye movement sleep you see in movies a lot. It's when your eyes are closed and they're moving around a lot. And there are signals traveling through the thalamus part of your brain, which relay to the cerebral cortex, which is the outer layer of your brain. And that's responsible for learning, thinking, and organizing information. And it works with another area called the pons. The pons send signals that shut off neurons in the spinal cord, causing temporary paralysis of your limb muscles. If something interferes with that paralysis, then people are going to kind of act out their dreams. If you are familiar with Mike Birbiglia, that is a disorder that he has, and it can be pretty dangerous. REM sleep stimulates the areas of your brain used in learning, which can be important during infancy and youth, which is why you dream a lot when you're a kid. And you probably remember many of your dreams from when you were a kid because it's a way that we can practice real life but without the consequences of it. They did a study where they took people and they deprived them of REM sleep. They taught a skill to those people and people who were deprived of REM sleep didn't learn the skill very well. They had another group of people, they taught the same skill, they got REM sleep, and they picked up the skill much easier. Some scientists believe that dreams are the cortex's attempt to find meaning in random signals that happen during REM sleep when the brain is shooting information back and forth across your brain. Perhaps this is the kind of conscious mind or a shadow of it while you're asleep trying to figure out what it is that's happening in there. These random signals do have a story to them, and we can use these stories to our benefit. Everybody dreams. Everybody. People who say they don't dream, and this is <laughs> according to the research that I've read, either don't remember them or are lying, which is kind of crazy. 
waking from REM sleep is the way to remember your dreams best. So if you want to remember your dreams, then have somebody wake you up while you're in REM sleep. And dream recall isn't easy. You forget 90% of the dreams that you have. But it's normal to do that. That's not unusual. Most people forget their dreams. And even blind people dream, by the way. Blind people who were born blind don't have things that they see in their dreams. They experience vivid sounds and feelings. But people who became blind after birth, they still see in their dreams, which is pretty cool. But again, they don't necessarily remember them. They just know that they have them. The reason that we don't remember them is actually really tough to answer. It turns out that when you're asleep, because of the way your brain waves change, uh, we recall some things, we don't recall other things. People who recall their dreams had, according to live science, a sustained decrease in an alpha brainwave. The decrease in the alpha wave shows that the brain is inhibited from responding to stimuli, like name-calling. So if you were asleep and you were in alpha wave sleep and I said your name, you probably wouldn't wake up. They think that alpha waves are something that's telling your brain, stay asleep. It's important right now, just stay asleep, rather than responding to outside stimuli. But people who remember their dreams, they wake up more often at night, so they don't have as big an alpha wave dip as people who don't remember their dreams. Perhaps it is that people who recall their dreams more often or have more active brains, but it's not really the whole answer. We, we don't know exactly why you forget so many dreams and why some people are so good at remembering them. I forget most of my dreams. I would say I remember a dream every few weeks, whereas other people that I know remember every dream they've had. They remember who was there. They remember where they were every single day. And that sounds exhausting. <laughs> the faces in your dreams, in case you're wondering, when it comes to who was there, are people you actually know in real life. Maybe it was a guy who you know, served you dinner the other day or somebody you met when you were a kid at a grocery store who you never saw again. Your brain sucks in that information and saves it. So we have this kind of cast of characters that's everyone you've ever met. And the brain can't make up faces, so it uses those faces. In the end, why we dream is an unanswered question. But there are hypotheses. An article on Scientific American by Ernest Hartman, who is the professor of psychiatry at Tufts University, says that we don't know why we do it, but that it appears people dream to be guided by their emotions and then process those emotions. He says, quote, weaving new material into the memory system in a way that both reduces emotional arousal and is adaptive in helping us cope with further trauma or stressful events. It's interesting that he uses the word trauma because that reminds me of negative things, which reminds me of nightmares. So why do we have bad dreams? Like, why are some dreams just terrible? The thing is, dreams occur during rapid eye movement. And rapid eye movement is a part of sleep where your brain is processing lots of information. And that includes your emotions. So when you have feelings of terror, distress, or anxiety then you're going to probably have a nightmare. You're going to dream about that. And, of course, there's different gradations of nightmares. Some are awful, just like you wake up in a sweat, and others are just dreams that don't leave you feeling particularly good when you wake up in the morning. Nightmares, what we know about them anyway, is that they happen in the latter part of the night. They often wake the person up because they are so distressed, and they're not as common as you might think. Considering we're dreaming every single night, 
Only 5% of adults are having nightmares where it's so severe and so frequent that it causes a clinical issue. They have to go seek help. But 85% of people experience nightmares. Some people, about a third or less, uh, experience it about once a month. That's not too bad. But some people, like 2 to 6%, experience a nightmare every single week. And that sounds awful. I would... I'm glad that I am not part of the 2 to 6%. But I definitely have bad dreams occasionally. I mean, I imagine you do too. You can tell me about them in the comments. What causes bad dreams, though? Well, no, most nightmares are stress-related. They're anxiety-related. Some are work-related. Uh, intense dreams are usually exist after trauma, after something bad has happened to you. Some people dream about something real that happened to them, car crashes or a death close to them. These are normal nightmares. However, you can also get nightmares from illness. They do seem to come when your body temperature is higher than it should be. And so a fever can cause nightmares. During REM sleep, your body's temperature control systems aren't working particularly well. They're not at 100%. So if your body temperature gets too high, then your body, for some reason, reacts really weirdly, and it can cause vivid nightmares. So that seems kind of dumb. Like It seems kind of stupid for your brain to do that to you, but perhaps it's trying to tell you something. Maybe it's trying to wake you up. But it also could be that it's forcing us to face our fears. Many psychologists believe that nightmares are a way for us to face that trauma, to process our fear and be able to get over it, again, in a way that's only in our heads, that there's no consequences in real life. You know, it'd be, if you're afraid of car crashes, you don't want to go get in another car crash, but your brain can run you through that to give you those car crash experiences and help you process it. This is a psychological technique that is used in clinical therapy. It's called exposure therapy. If you're afraid of spiders, they will give you a rubber spider and then help you get comfortable with it until slowly you work your way up to being comfortable with a real spider around. Because, you know, this is, again, debilitating fears. There's also something called flooding, whereas you take uh, exposure therapy kind of the next level. If you're afraid of the dark, flip the lights off. That's flooding. It's all over. The therapy itself can be traumatic, but it can still help. And nightmares do this to you as well. So it's a way to process your emotions and to process your anxiety and move past it. In 60% of recorded cases where nightmares are occurring regularly, it's showing that a major life event was one of the onsets of that nightmare. So again, a car crash or a death in the family, maybe having problems at work, can cause nightmares. That's more than half the time, which makes a lot of sense. There's also, I don't know if you remember the movie The Christmas Story, there was uh, when Marley floats up, the ghost of Marley, and, and, and he says, Scrooge says to him, oh, you're just an undigested piece of beef. There's actually a little bit of truth to that. Eating before bed in general isn't going to do a lot in terms of negatives to your body, but eating some things like beef actually raises your body temperature. Beef is very difficult to digest. Your stomach has to raise to 100 degrees, and it's very hot in there, and it's more active, and it takes a long time. So bad dreams are possible, though not every time, obviously. So... From what we know in the scientific literature, nightmares can be caused by an adverse reaction or to, to a drug or a side effect. 
Withdrawal from a drug. If you've taken a lot of sleeping pills and then you stop, you might get more vivid nightmares. It could be from excessive alcohol consumption or withdrawal from alcohol consumption. So these major shifts in your chemistry in your brain can cause these problems. You can also get nightmares from sleep apnea, which is a breathing disorder while you sleep, or narcolepsy. There's also sleep terror disorder, which is a whole different thing. Sleep terrors or night terrors are, are much worse. We could, it's... it's something that psychologists don't actually know much about or why it happens, but they do know that it usually occurs in children and it's much more intense than a regular nightmare. Usually occurs at the lowest levels of heart rate, blood pressure, brain wave levels, but night terrors are a whole different thing. If you've ever experienced one, they're, they're just terrifying. There are also recurring bad dreams or repeated nightmares, and these are a series of nightmares under a, a same theme, and this is Something that, like, if you have recurring anxiety at work that you have to deal with, your brain is going to try and make you deal with that emotionally while you sleep. And it's difficult. It sounds like not a great way to handle it, but if you can't process it when you're asleep, your subconscious is trying to make your brain process it while you're asleep, how are you going to process it while you're awake? In the end, there is a universality to nightmares. It's kind of incredible, actually. In a study called The Universality of Typical Dreams, Japanese versus Americans, 21% of the United States and 16% of Japan had dreams of their teeth falling out. Have you had that dream? I've had that dream. It's not a good dream. That is a struggle with our own mortality, according to science. And it's interesting that it's universal. We have it, so do they. There's also dreams of falling, which has to do with losing control. There's dreams of public nudity, not in a fun way, like humility. That's it. That's vulnerability. And then there are all sorts of other universal dreams that all humans seem to experience. Uh, a really great quote that I read in American Anthropologist says, typical dreams or shared kind of common dreams mark a public domain. They intimate a common bond between us. I think that's great. That's great. We we all have the same fears. We all have the same anxieties. We all have the same emotions. We all have to deal with them in the same way. And that's why nightmares exist. You probably have fewer now than you did when you were kids because kids have them a lot more. They have a lot more anxieties and emotions to deal with that they're learning about. But now we're going to talk about whether you learn from your dreams, like what we've brought into the real world out of the dream world. So a big one that you probably hear a lot about is alien abductions. I'm going to go out on a limb and say there is no proof that anyone has actually been abducted by aliens, but there are a lot of people that claim it. And a lot of that has to do with, according to research that is public, the sleep paralysis, I guess you could call it. It's the idea that you're dreaming and you experience things and you can't explain them. And a lot of that comes down to sleep paralysis. Sleep paralysis is when your brain is releasing a hormone while you're asleep so that you don't act out your dreams it doesn't stop releasing that hormone as you wake up. So you end up still being paralyzed by your own, you're trapped in your own body. You have the inability to move. You can't speak. You can't react. You can actually have this experience in a dream. It can happen. Maybe in dreams where you're running, but you're not actually moving, things like that. This is an actual physical state, and it's a transitional state between wakefulness and sleep. 
characterized often by muscle weakness. That's a medical way to talk about it. And sometimes it's accompanied by terrifying hallucinations, usually a feeling of someone in the room with you or uh, loud sounds and painful experiences. Sleep paralysis is not, it's not very fun, not very fun from everything that I've ever read about it. I've never experienced it myself. But usually what happens is sleep paralysis lasts for a very short period of time and then the sleeper can move. Not always, though. And this is where they think that alien abduction stories come from, is people can't move, they have a hallucination of somebody in the room with them, and they see these crazy hallucinations, and therefore they think that they've been abducted by aliens. Now, that's not entirely about dreaming, necessarily, but there are a lot of people that have learned positive things from dreaming. Um, While alien abductions is awesome and super interesting, it's not entirely just dreams with sleep paralysis. Though there is a, it is, should probably be mentioned that it's universal. It's not a, an American thing. They have it all over the world. Newfoundland, they call it the old hag, as in like an old lady is sitting on your chest keeping you from getting up. In Japan, it's a devil's foot that's pushing down on your chest. So everybody's got different things. For some reason, Americans enjoy the alien abduction story. But what about positive stuff? Like, A lot of people hear about negative things when it comes to dreams, but what about positive things? In 1816, a woman named Mary Shelley was at a friend's house vacationing, and the weather wasn't great, so she was trapped inside, and she was challenged by her host to write a short story. Everybody who was out the vacation was actually challenged. And so she went away for a little bit and had a waking dream, and from that, she created the story of Frankenstein, which is both a good thing and a bad thing, right? It's a monster story, but it's also a really great monster story. And that kind of came to her in a waking dream. But what about a sleeping dream? In 1965, Paul McCartney, fairly famous Beatle, said that the song Yesterday, well, at least the melody to that song, came to him in his sleep. He woke up and he went around to other people in the music industry to make sure it wasn't something he'd heard before and... One, nobody nobody had ever heard it, he recorded it. And it became a very famous song yesterday. James Cameron dreamt The Terminator. It came from a dream. And it launched a great sequel and then a bunch of other movies that were kind of bad. Niels Bohr, uh, who kind of invented or created or discovered the, the structure of the atom, he came up with that in a dream looking like the solar system flying around the nucleus of the atom. And he won the Nobel Prize for that description in 1922. Dr. Otto Lowy was described as the father of neuroscience today, but he came up with the idea that chemical transmission of nervous impulses or electrical activity in your brain, he came up with that idea while he was dreaming. Kind of ironic, actually. And he also won a Nobel Prize for his work. Jack Nicholas told the San Francisco Chronicle during a slump in the 1960s that he was having a dream about golfing, and he realized in the dream he was playing golf way better than he had been in real life because he was holding the club differently. Came out of his slump. Robert Louis Stevenson wrote Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and he wrote down that for two days he went about racking his brains for a plot of any sort. And on the second night, he dreamed the scene at the window and a scene afterward that split in two in which Hyde, pursued for some crime, took the powder and underwent the change in the presence of his pursuers. Pretty crazy dream, but it turned into another amazing story. So dreams are 
ways for our subconscious and conscious mind to interact. It's a way that we can pull ideas from ourselves, but this kind of fountain of creativity. Authors and chemists and mathematicians and artists have all looked at dreams and thought, this is a way that I can pull all sorts of really interesting information and credited dreams for numerous findings and inventions. And speaking of inventions, you too can potentially use your dreams like this. Thomas Edison was known for falling asleep holding ball bearings in his hand, and he would just take a nap. The moment that you fall asleep, when your muscles relax, those ball bearings would drop to the floor and wake him up. And he believed that some of his best ideas came in this moment. It was that moment when your brain is transitioning from sleep and wakefulness. It's a very open-minded moment. So he would let his subconscious solve problems that were plaguing his waking mind. It's kind of incredible, right? It's called hypnagogia, which is the experience of that transitional state. And that drop is just after or before the hypnagogic jerk, which is the the uh, twitches that you get as you're falling asleep. And using this, he was able to come up with a whole lot of different things. Lucid dreaming is by far one of the, like, the pinnacles of dream culture. It's something that everybody wants to do and something that not a lot of people have been able to do. So lucid dreaming isn't so much controlling your dream as it is the awareness of being in your dream. You can influence the dream a little bit here and there, but for the most part, you're just aware that you're dreaming. During lucid dreams, we're pretty wakeful, actually, even though we're still asleep. We can reason, we can remember. It's kind of like wandering around within your dream. I've had a few lucid dreams in my time, but I can't force myself to do it. I don't know if you can. If you have tips, we're going to get there. Lucid dreaming has been known about for a long time. In 350 BCE, Aristotle wrote that when one is asleep, There is something in consciousness which tells us what presents itself is but a dream. Essentially, he's saying that you can actually experience your dream while feeling awake. You can lucid dream. Hull University in the UK in 1975 hooked people up to EEGs. Dr. Keith Hearn wanted to know if people were aware that they were dreaming and if lucid dreaming was real or if it was just kind of another type of dream. And after hooking people up to electroencephalographs, they found that they were in REM sleep by looking at their brain waves. Then, by signaling with their eye movements, with predetermined eye movements, they were able to, to say that they were aware of their dreaming, which is incredible to me. So, if you want a lucid dream, you can. There are a few different strategies on how to do it. Lucid dreaming involves doing a lot of stuff while you're awake mostly. Firstly, you should keep a dream journal. Keeping a dream journal is very important. It helps you remember your dreams, and it helps you remember them for a while. Sometimes you can remember them right when you wake up, but that's not the same as remembering them tomorrow or next week. So what good is a lucid dream if you can't remember your dream? The biggest way to get into lucid dreaming is to make a habit of checking whether you're dreaming or not. I know it sounds weird, but stick with me on this. If you plug your nose and cover your mouth and you can still breathe, you're currently dreaming. If you look at your hands and your feet and they look funny, you are currently dreaming. Those are two ways that you can tell, but my favorite way to tell is to read things. 
See, the brain doesn't construct every little detail of a dream. It's not like a video game where they've programmed every little thing and sometimes things you never even notice. The brain doesn't do that. And so if you go to read something, like you go to check time, you look away, you check the time again, the time is going to change. Because every time you look at it, your brain is constructing a new reality as you're looking. So for example, if I was dreaming right now, if I look down at my notes, and I look back at you guys, and then I look down at my notes again, the notes will be completely different the second time I look at it. They're the same, I'm not dreaming. If you get in the habit of doing this throughout the day, every day, while you're awake, then you're going to get that habit translated into the dream world. You can also tell yourself before you go to bed, it's another way to try and lucid dream, I will be aware when I'm dreaming. I haven't found that to be as useful, but you can try that as well. Everybody's a little different. But really, read your dream journal. Recognize your dream. That is another strategy. Make sure that you know what your dreams are normally like. What dreams you usually dream about? Where you normally dream? Who you normally dream with? If you write down all this stuff in a dream journal, you're going to be able to say, oh my gosh, I've been here before. I read this in my dream journal. And you'll recognize it and you'll become aware. If you wake up from your dream while you're lucid dreaming or just as you realize you're aware that you're dreaming, that's going to happen as you learn to lucid dream. You'll be kicked out of it. Just Try and drift back to sleep. Don't open your eyes. Just drift back to sleep and keep in your mind that dream. Over time, you will learn to lucid dream. And it's not dangerous. There are reasons that you shouldn't learn to do this, but dangerous is not one of them. The reason you shouldn't necessarily learn to lucid dream or you should just enjoy dreaming normally is because lucid dreaming also includes nightmares. So you might have to be aware that you're experiencing a really significant nightmare. Reading some of people's experiences at this is to see, they'll see their family members have horrible things happen to them. Or they'll talk to their family members and their family members won't know who they are. And it's just, you'll get this weird trauma. It's, it's not going to hurt you physically, but it, is, it might cause some psychological discomfort or you might just get upset by it. The reasons that you should lucid dream are way more numerous. You get a direct line of communication with your subconscious mind. You can unlock creative potential that you couldn't have before. You can get a mental workout. You know, you can try out ideas and explore your normal life while in your dream life. Many people who lucid dream say that it's the best thing. It's just bliss. It's incredible feelings. And as a writer on NBC News said... Dreams are a reservoir of ideas. Now imagine just being able to walk up to that and grab whatever idea you like. That's great. You don't have to wait for them to show up happenstance. And it's a good way to practice those ideas in your dream. It's pretty incredible. And some scientists think that this is what dreams are for. What's happening with dreams now? And what what are we going to do with our dreams as technology advances? A big one that I want to know is can we record our dreams? I don't know if you saw that mediocre movie, Final Fantasy Spirits Within. She recorded her dreams in that movie, and I thought that was super neat. It would be really cool to be able to go back and kind of watch your dreams and and learn from them that way. But we're not quite there yet. Scientists in Kyoto, Japan, had subjects fall asleep and be woken up about 200 times. Talk about annoying. 
Researchers asked what they were dreaming about, and then they matched that during the brain waves that they were seeing during that sleeping session. From that information, they were able to say, okay, you know, this person was dreaming about a horse and this person was dreaming about a castle. So they created an algorithm that said, okay, when these brain waves pop up, that's horse brain waves, this is castle brain waves. And then they could kind of recreate the dreams using this algorithm, using like a little short movie. It's, of course, pretty rudimentary to do it that way, and it's only right about 60% of the time, but it's still right 60% of the time just by looking at your brain waves. But, I mean, that's crazy, right? UC Berkeley is kicking butt in dream recording as well. They had folks who watched movie trailers, and during the watching while they were awake, they recorded their brain activity associated with the images in the movie trailers. And then from that, they could kind of use that brain activity information to recreate people's dreams. Of course, neither of those things, I don't know if you noticed, are actually recording anything. But they're getting really good at guessing what people are dreaming about. They're not actually recording what's really happening because we can't read thoughts. We can't, like, put it in a DVD player and just read it or a little video file. We just can't do that yet. However... To go the opposite way, you can plug dreams into people, sort of. Like the, another movie about dreams, Inception, very popular. The movie Inception was entirely about dreams, although a big part of it, mutual dreaming or shared dreaming, we can't do yet for the exact reasons we just discussed about recording dreams. We can't read brains to you know put them both in the same shared dream. However... Even though there is no actual science to back what I am about to talk about, this is really interesting. There are people that talk about having shared dreams, and they claim to have talked to other people that were having that shared dream with them, as if these two people independently came together later and they were like, were you dreaming about horses and castles last night? Because I was totally dreaming. Oh my God, I was dreaming about horses and castles too, that big tower, it was crazy. Imagine... Everybody's kind of had this experience where you meet somebody who's had a similar dream to you, but they're saying these are the same thing. They've dreamed together. There's an interesting theory that uh, has to do with quantum information. It's a little off track from dreams, but it's really awesome. So quantum entanglement is when you take two particles that entangle at a distance. So I copy some quantum information onto this particle, and then it touches this particle through something we don't understand, quantum entanglement. These two particles move exactly the same, even if they're far apart. The human brain can maybe naturally use quantum entanglement already. It can change quantum states using our neurons. This is the penrose hameroff ork or model of how neurons work, essentially. Basically, the brain manipulates quantum particles, and that helps create our consciousness. So if it's manipulating quantum particles, it's not a huge stretch to say that the brain might be able to quantumly entangle with a nearby brain, right? If I can quantumly entangle with somebody, why can't I share a dream with them? That's basically what they're trying to say. Again, no science backing this up, but... It is pretty cool. And as long as we're talking about really strange things that aren't necessarily about human dreams, but maybe about machine dreams, the Google Deep Dream machine is really, really, really cool and produces some incredible imagery. Make sure you go and you look this up. I mean, you could Google it, I guess. It is their machine. And it uses their machine to interpret images. So, like, 
Here's a dog photo. The machine looks at these images and it learns from past images and it builds this database and it creates this crazy database of how images work almost. It's sort of like teaching the machine to recognize images better. And as it does that, it creates these beautiful images. Then they're thinking, if they point these at brainwaves, maybe they can copy the Japanese study and get better than 60%, recreate dream states using these machines. We're not that far off, y'all. We're pretty close. Right now, the only way we can really hack into dreams, the only way we can inception somebody, is through dream incorporation. Dream incorporation is the idea that if I maybe tickle you while you're asleep, but you don't wake up, your dream self will feel that and be tickled, or it will change how you dream. If you smell chocolate chip cookies, maybe you'll dream about them without waking up. There was a study with pain where they found inducing the pins and needles that you get during uh, the healing of burn scars, and that made it into the dream of the participant, which is strange. So if you're thirsty in real life, you obviously can't satiate that in a dream, so you have to wake up in order to solve that problem. But that's really the only way at this point that we can hack into people's dreams is by influencing their physical selves, and that translates somehow into this dream state, which is still pretty incredible, especially since we don't know a lot about it. But I'm telling you that I'm, I'm worried that it goes the other way, so I, you know, I never pee in my dreams. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a bathroom when you're dreaming. I don't, I just leave the bathroom. I don't, I don't dream pee. This, you know, you, you can never, never be too careful. In the end, though, your dreams are your own. You can live your dream lucidly. You can learn from your dreams. You can write them down and, and relive them while you wake up and try and pull whatever information you can out of them. Or, you know what? You do you. Just enjoy your dreams while you're asleep. I mean, dreams are universal. They've created works of art. They've influenced our lives, both personally and as a wider culture. And they're something that everybody does. So we can all feel kind of comfort in that. Thanks so much for hanging out with me here on Seeker Plus. I really hope that you loved this episode. If you did, leave us a rating. Share us with your friends. If you have comments, come find us on Twitter at Seeker or me at Trace Dominguez. Make sure you come find us as well on all our other shows. We're on YouTube. We're on Facebook. We're easy to find, and they're awesome. I'm Trace. Thanks for listening to Seeker Plus. We'll see you next time.